Robin Abrams was a 28-year-old former sheriff's deputy for Will County in Beecher, Illinois. On October 4, 1990, 18 days before her deposition in a case where she was accusing officers in that department of sexual harassment, among other charges, she drove away from her parents' home. Not far down the road, she waved to her father, who was headed in the opposite direction. Robin was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. too far into this episode, I think I need to prepare all of you. You're going to hear a lot of disgusting information today. I don't know how else to put it. And you know that I don't sensationalize things. I don't exaggerate. By now, you know the format of the show. I have a theme at the beginning. I go over the facts. I do an interview with either a family member or a blogger or a writer. And then afterwards... Yes, I do do a little bit of theorizing and hypothesizing, but mainly this show tries to stick to the facts. So when I tell you, you should believe me, that the interview that you're going to hear, the woman that I talked to, what she is going to tell all of you, is going to at least a little bit shake your belief about how police conduct investigations in the United States. I don't know how else to put it. Because the amount of cover-up, lies, distortions, it's going to boggle your mind. It truly is. And it didn't just happen for a small amount of time. It's actually been going on for over 25 years. So I wanted to state that first. I just wanted to prepare you for that. Second, I don't want anybody who is involved in law enforcement, if you're listening to the show because you enjoy it, I don't want you to think that this show is anti-police. It's not. I'm not going to say it's pro-police either. All I do is do the show and present the facts as I understand them. And that's why in all of these shows, I go out to get the person who knows. And I'll be honest, I do my fair share of research as well. It's not like somebody can come on this show and just outright lie to me because I double-check everything. It's kind of trust but verify. Yes, we have talked about the police. Uh, It started back when I had Kelly Murphy on the show talking about how the police don't have enough resources to help the families who have – lost loved ones through disappearances. We wonder if they have enough training. Are enough cops on the beat to help these people? Those are always going to be good questions and good topics on this show. But this show goes a little further than that. This is going to be the second show, and I did a show about a month ago where a woman, Kelly Rothwell, who was a police officer here in Pinellas County, disappeared. And why did she disappear? Probably because of another man who was involved in law enforcement. He worked at a prison. In today's case, 
we have another situation where a woman who was involved in law enforcement has disappeared, and most likely the prime suspect is another man who was involved in law enforcement. I don't plan these things out. I just go where my curiosity, my interests take me. This is not planned. But what runs through my mind is where are the good cops? Where are the good men and women who were working at the prison with David Perry back in those days when he was committing fraud up there in New York in the early 2000s, right? Where were they? Where are they now? And likewise, in this case, I wonder the same thing. Where were those good cops in Beecher, Illinois, when Robin Abrams disappeared in 1990? I'm still asking that question to this day. And now the facts of the case, and these facts are brought to you by my friend Megan Good and her website, charlieproject.org. On October 4th, 1990, Robin Abrams passed her father on the road in Beecher, Illinois. Nobody knew where she was going or if she was going to meet anyone. However, a half day later, her red 1989 Dodge Daytona was found in Harvey, Illinois, with the doors locked and the keys in the ignition. Her camera was in the car, but there was no trace of Robin. Three days later, Robin's purse was found in a residential area three blocks away from the car's location. Whoever took the purse left Robin's wallet, but took the credit cards. However, those cards were never used. Robin had been dating a fellow married police officer, Anthony Marquez. She was unaware of his marital status. When Robin discovered this, she broke off the relationship. What ensued was a two-year-long period of harassment by not just Tony, but fellow officers assisting him in his efforts to make Robin's life miserable. However, despite Marquez being the instigator, he managed to get Robin fired from the police force. In response, Robin in December 1989 filed a federal lawsuit against Marquez and others alleging wrongful termination, sexual harassment, and violation of her civil rights. She was scheduled to give her deposition in the case on October 22, 1990, but vanished 18 days before that. Robin had made statements before she disappeared that if anything happened to her, her family should have Marquez investigated first. Those are the general facts of the case. I get into each one of those and even more with my interview for this show, and I'll tell you who that is in a few moments. But I think I need to issue another warning. This is a very complex case. So please listen as well as you can. Like I said, you're going to hear about police corruption, but you're going to hear about burial sites, neighbor disputes. You're going to hear about the mob. You're going to hear about the shooting up and the torching of a house. And there are going to be many names thrown around like Marquez, Moss, Susie, Bruchette. And all of it in relation to the disappearance of Robin Abrams. So I ask you to listen as well as you can. And it doesn't help, and this is the real kicker for this case, is that the family, Robin's family, didn't find out about any of this until over 20 years later. Until that point, they thought that the investigation was all above board when it really wasn't. The interview I have 
regarding the disappearance of Robin Abrams is with her sister, Jody Walsh. Jody has spearheaded the effort over the last 25 years to bring those people involved in Robin's disappearance to justice. I've gotten to know Jody very well. Uh, we emailed each other back and forth several times. We are now friends on Facebook, and even though I've never met her personally face-to-face, uh, I can already call her uh, a friend, and you're going to hear a very passionate woman in this interview, a woman very much like all the other interviews that I've done. This is a, a person who is not going to stop until her sister's abductors and probable murderers are in jail. I remind you that you can find me on Twitter, Unfound Podcast. You can email me, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love for you to join the discussion group on Facebook. It's just called Unfound Podcast. And also the show can be found at Podomatic and iTunes. I'd love for you to subscribe and give the show a decent review. I now give you my interview with Jody Walsh, sister of Robin Abrams. Jody, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ed. Tell the listeners a little bit about Robin, uh, who she was, your relationship uh, with her, and then we'll get into some of the details uh, of her disappearance. Okay. Um, we grew up in a house. There was four girls. Robin was the baby. She was the youngest. Donna, the oldest, then myself, our sister Karen and me. Our dad was a bricklayer and a part-time policeman for the town we lived in. Mama was a stay-at-home mom. Um, Robin, when she was younger, we had always had a pool, and um, you could always find us by the pool, in the pool, um, riding bikes. We liked outside. Robin liked um, exploring things. She was real, um, even little girl studious. She liked to read, a lot mm-hmm. of, reading a lot of books. And... Uh, she loved school, and we loved our baby sister. Mm-hmm. And she grew up, she went to high school, graduated. Did she go to college? Robin was the first one in our family that went to college. Is that right? Um, she went to um, the junior, uh, the um, community college out here and then went to uh, Governor State where she graduated with a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and... She was the first one that went to college in our family. We were very proud of her, mom and dad, and all of us. Wow. Okay, and you were very close to Were all you four sisters very close? The older two, Donna and I, were close. There's mm-hmm. a four-year gap between Robin and Donna. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. we watched out after our little ones, our, you know, our younger sisters. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, basically when we had together time, we, all, we were all together you know, play Barbie dolls and that kind of stuff growing up. But uh, mm-hmm. when we were, my sister Diane and I, you know, we were in school ahead of them, and yeah. we teach, we'd go and teach school to them when they were little, and okay. you know, that kind of stuff. But so, how many how many years ready. difference was there between you and Robin? Six. Six years. Okay. No brothers. No brothers. No boys. There's no brothers. Wow, that's a lot of estrogen in that family, Jody. Are you better? You better believe it. It was it was it was fun. It was real good memories for most part of it. Yeah. Uh, and so, how did she end up 
becoming a police woman. How did that? How did that all happen? Well, we'll start by the fact that she put herself through college. Mm-hmm. Um, she worked at McDonald's. She even became a manager at a few of the McDonald's and worked, um, you know, worked her way up the rung. And one day, this gentleman came in um, by the name of Tony Marquez, mm-hmm. who was a who was a Will County auxiliary officer. He was forty two at the time. She was wait. Yes, 42, I believe, and she was 28, so he's much older than her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they hit it off, and, you know, she admired policing because my dad was a police officer. Right. And that was something in the back of her mind, I, I believe. Uh, I know she wanted to be a lawyer, hmm. but she wanted to do the different things, like, you know, become a police officer, see how that is, um, and then work her way up and, you know, become a lawyer. Her passion was helping um, distressed women. Um, I'm not going to go into the background of that because both mm. of my parents are gone. Okay. But um, she did have a she had a commemorative letter from a group called Groundworks out in Joliet by helping a lady um, by the name of Miss Brunell. I don't want to give her first name, but she's also missing from Will County. Oh my! But uh, she got an accommodation letter for helping her in the battered children, uh, battered women and children. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a heart for people, and she was always, um, always that way, always helping mm-hmm. out people. And she met him there. And uh, so, while she was a manager of McDonald's, she was doing this like on the side, like outside of work. When she was at McDonald's, mm-hmm. she met him. Okay, and he was a you know auxiliary, okay. and then she got into the academy in Springfield, Illinois, mm-hmm. to be a police officer. And she did do that, and uh, she got the combination after she was a, oh, okay. you know, the Will County Sheriff's Police, the, the, the office that did hire her, which was one of the biggest mistakes our, our life ever faced was that, yeah. that day. What, uh, what, around what year did she become a policewoman? What year? 80, um, 88, 89, she went into the academy, and okay. in 89... Uh, she was Will County Police Officer. Mm-hmm. I believe I'm getting these dates right. Okay, that's fine. Over 20, it's over 26 uh, years. I understand. Oh. Listeners and, uh, will understand. Great. A few months before her actual tender as, you know, an interim policeman, before she became full force, mm-hmm. she was fired. Um, Tell the listeners well, about uh, that. Robin's boss, I'll just say his first name. His name was John. Mm-hmm. And him, he was a sheriff, John, at the time in Will County. Mm-hmm. And his um, entourage, I want to call him, uh, Tony Marquez and a few other officers that will be named later. Mm-hmm. They were all best friends. They grew up together. They went to school together. And uh, so Robin um, found out that he was married. He told her he was divorced. Mm-hmm. She found out he was married. They dated for a while, and she found out for sure and broke it off. And that's when the trouble started right there. Um, mm-hmm. Other than the fact that prior to that, he did punch her in the face once. And when she was in the academy, they noticed the bruise. But she wouldn't talk about it because she, she knew what was going to happen. You know, she kind of had a fear of him. This was Tony um, Marquez. This was Tony Marquez. So the same guy that, just to, to be clear for the listeners, the same guy that recruited her to to be, get into being a cop is the same guy who started abusing her once she became a cop. 
Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. All right. And um, through her course of the um, breaking up and all that, mm. Tony Marquez beat my mom and her. The car mom was driving was a, a, a new van, and he beat it in with a baseball bat. She lived out in the Joliet area and had her tires slashed several times. Um, and the baseball incident, mom and Robin had a court date. And they went to the court date, and they found out that the date was changed conveniently by mm. another judge who happens to be friends of the, the chain of command, let's just say. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a document. We had the mm-hmm. proof. I, mean, I know you. I know the, you do. The thing dropped. The, you know, the case was dropped, so they never got anything out of that. So from then until the day she disappeared, mm-hmm. October 4th, 1990, this man, Tony Marquez, had over 105 complaints on my sister. From anywhere from um, reckless driving, stalking, phone, you name it, he, he had it. And uh, what mean, Meaning but, that he, di- he didn't have the files charged against him. He had filed them against Robin. Yes, he harassed wow. her in that way, and it ended up going to court. Mm-hmm. And my sister stood at court with my mom. Mm-hmm. And jury, 12 of them, mm-hmm. they could only do two charges. Was One was harassment and one was something else. I don't know. Out of all that, 105. Wow. Um, and mind you, in the meantime, these records I do have of these arrests, mm-hmm. several of the people that had interfered with her life to make it miserable were named on those complaints as, as people that signed off on the reports, that took the reports, that came to her house with their guns drawn to her head, blah, blah, mm. blah. Yeah. And I'll talk yeah. about it a little later. Yeah. Yes. But he, yes. Um, he had, they had gotten her to those two counts, and my sister was found not guilty mm. on everything, not guilty. And the judge at the time who was hearing it was Judge Bua, and he ordered an uh, order of protection for my mother and for my sister mm. against Tony Marquez to stay away from my sister and mother. Mm-hmm. That was still in effect. Um, it was still in effect till she, you know, left the so earth. She, I mean, yes, yes. It was not supposed to be anywhere near them. The judge ordered that. That wasn't, now this is an interesting part. Mm-hmm. Robin and mom didn't request that at the time. They were there to, you know, get her off. Right. You know, the charges or whatever. Yes. But the judge saw through this bull crap, if I can say that. You can, you can say that. And, and said, you know, this is what I'm issuing. Follow it. It was not followed. Not followed. Um, mm-hmm. Would you like me to get into a little bit of some of the harassment? Mike, I, I think what we want to do is first is explain what the family dynamics what was going on is this was going on what was robin telling you were you did you live in the area also were you somewhere else what was she telling her mother you know your mother i should say what was the conversation within the family while this was going on okay i did not live in the area i was mm-hmm. um raising two little children mm-hmm. my two children at the time mm-hmm. uh, but we did have family gatherings you know we'd go out to moms and Robin lived in Joliet in her own little apartment, and Mom and Dad lived in Beecher, Illinois, which is about a maybe 45-minute, I'm assuming 45-minute ride. Okay. Mom Mom knew what was going on. It happened to Mom. She was in the car when he beat her. Yeah, right. You know, and yeah. um, 
But we were close. I mean, she'd come to the birthday parties, and once in a while she would take my two younger ones, one at a time, because they were, you know, four, let's see, yeah, four and like seven or something. They were a little bit of a handful? A little bit of a handful? Well, yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, she has never had children. Okay. She never had kids, so... And I didn't want to overburden her because sure. I know how my kids are. You know? yes. Just go and relax and enjoy your time with your auntie. That's your special time, yeah. which they each got to do. Yeah. And um, took them to the ball game. She was a big Sox fan, Cubs fan, and you know. Um, so we did have that kind of camaraderie um, after because I was married young. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be forty-three years this November and next week. Yes, no, this week it's the twenty-fourth. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. And were you fearful for Jody's for Robin's life at this time, Jody? Were you were, were you a little uh, worried gonna, about I'm her? Say, I'm going to say after the incident where she was stuck in the cell in Joliet at one time mm-hmm. with ten male felons uncharged on a class, well, it was a class C violation, and the man that put her in jail, we'll just say Jim, because mm-hmm. he was the prison guy there, says we'll make her the. Exception to the rule. Stuck her in her cell ten hours with eight, eight hours with ten male felons. And this was and because mom, of one of the charges that Tony Marquez had brought against. Trumped up charge. Trumped yes, up charge. It was. Yeah. And um, that's when I had a gut feeling as a sister. Uh oh, something is wrong here. We got to get her out of there. And then my mom started telling us about the time her car was slashed with the tire. Mm-hmm. You know, her tires were slashed and you know, running her off the road. And I go, Mom, why didn't – she goes, well, you have your, you know, you know, you have your family, your kids to take care of. I'll take care of Robin. Yeah. That's how Mama was. You know, yeah, she yeah. didn't want to – and then um, I have a – I have to say this on the air. Please. I have a bad temper. And if I'd have known what this man was doing to my sister, mm. I might not be able to be sitting here talking to you. And I'll let you guys fill in the blanks there um, because this would have never happened, ever happened to my sister what these people did to her. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to stop now either. I'm I going to keep going forward to get jumped. What was, what was Robin saying at this time? Did, was she saying, I mean, t- to your knowledge, was she telling your mother, you know what, I can handle this? Or, no, you know what, I'm going to move. I'm going to, you know, go move to, you know, Indiana or Wisconsin or something. I mean – well, she did move out of Joliet okay. and moved in with my parents. And my oldest sister, Donna, lived there also. Mm. Uh, and Donna and Mom and, you know, Robin would uh, – Robin, as a matter of fact, took my sister, my mother, and one of Robin's – or Donna's girlfriends mm. out to where Tony Marquez worked in Joliet. He had a insurance company and told them this is just probably approximately two to three weeks before she went missing, mm-hmm. said, if something happens to me, that's his office, that's who did it. And Mom, they already knew it was Tony Marquez. Yeah, you know, yeah. Mom and Donna, and it was it was fearful. Whenever she'd go in the car, you know, you never know where he'd show up or, right. you know, what kind of police would be following her and drawing their guns to her head in her own apartment at one time, and five mm-hmm. of them came, and were telling her neighbors that she was nuts and a lunatic with a gun and, you know, just really bizarre things. And just so we're clear for the listeners, the reason that this all was going on was because 
Robin found out she was having a relationship with Tony, and then Robin found out that Tony was married, and so Robin didn't want to be with him anymore, and this was all of his retaliation for this, for that. That's That's your suspicion. That's your suspicion. Yes, that's our assumption. Mm -hmm. And along with that, um, getting kicked off the police force was a very big part. The the, the man by the name of John who was running – Again, for re-election for sheriff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, they fired my sister, okay? Right. And, uh, not long before her year was up, they fired her. So she filed a sexual harassment, wrongful right. um, termination against them. Yeah. And um, like 18 days before she was to give her deposition to her lawyer's office, she disappeared. So it was a combination. It was a combination of that relationship and then this lawsuit that she was filing. And she was right. going to – and probably she was – sounds to me like she was going to win it, and a lot of people were worried about that. So it was a combination of issues. That, yes. Okay. As a matter of fact, she had a six- to eight-hour deposition given on their side for the Illinois state side. Mm-hmm. And they all had a – you know, they all knew what she was how, how firm this case was, and right. they couldn't have that because he was running for a re-election. Um, and in the meantime, while she was getting harassed by him, she would go several times to this John guy, her boss, and mm-hmm. um, he ended up firing her, saying that she um, would otherwise bring a bad name to the uh, <laughs> police department oh my. On, on things that were going on. I mean, Completely oh. defamation of character. She had a very strong suit. Okay. And I, I know she would have won it, and these people would have been exposed. So what happened the day that she disappeared? What do you remember about it? What are we, you're personally, what you remember? And then what are the facts of her disappearing, and then maybe a couple of days after that? Okay. My father was the last to see her. They lived in Beecher, and she was going down Goodenow Road, and she passed them. He was coming home from work mid-afternoon, 4 o'clock, mm-hmm. um, and they waved. So they had never talked to her or anything. Of course, she was a 28 at the time, and, mm-hmm. you know, she doesn't have to tell everybody her whereabouts, goings and comings. Uh, Mom and Donna thought that she was just going out on errands. Donna was working at the time, so she didn't get to talk to her, mm-hmm. you know, that day leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just here going about my life, working and watching my children. Yeah. And I got a call um, she was, was presumably she was in the car by herself. Your your father did not see anybody else in the car with her. She was alone. Just her in a red uh, Dodge Daytona. Okay. Just her in her car. Yeah. Right. And he did note that she had on her white uh, dress. You you can see her dress shirt and her black leather jacket. That's okay. what she you know had on. Okay. And um, where she was going, no one knew. Uh, she was spotted at a gas station, and Tony Marquez was also spotted there. Hmm. Um, okay. so I get a call at seven in the morning and the next day, this would be October 5th, okay. 7 a.m. The next day, 1990, mm-hmm. my calls or my sister Donna called and says, you have to come over here. Robin's missing. And I got in my car and immediately went out there. Um, did you immediately think that, let's just be honest. What was your knee jerk reaction when you heard that? What, what did you think? Tony Marquez killed her. Okay. Okay. That was our all of our initial reaction. That was he got to her. He okay. got to her. 
And um, when I got there with Will County Police that she worked for, a gentleman by the name of the detective's name, first name was Steve and some other people. And, of course, everyone was crying. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we just tried to hold it together for my mom. And uh, a couple days later, they get a call. They found her purse in Harvey. They found the car. The reason why they got a call, Robin was not reported till the next day mm-hmm. because um, Harvey police, Harvey, Illinois police called and says, we have your, we have your car, your, your daughter's car here. And uh, there's no sign of Robin. Um, mm-hmm. So. And how far is Harvey from where she was last seen? Um, Joliet would be where she was last seen. Mm-hmm. Harvey's. Uh, probably, maybe, I'm going to say, guess an hour away okay. towards Chicago. All right. So not um, close. Not like right not down the street. Close. Okay. No, not, not down the street, but it's another county. Okay. This would be Cook County, the Harvey area. Mm-hmm. And the other um, would be Will County. Will County. For the Will County Police Department. Sheriff right. Police, yes. Um, when she... The car was found. Supposedly keys were in it. Um, they did find her purse. A, a lady called our parents a few days later and says, I found your purse. And it had her wallet, you know, and um, stuff in it. Mm-hmm. There was also a camera in the car. There was a camera. Mm-hmm. And for years we were told there was no film in the camera. Mm-hmm. And for years we thought that the um, state police, because at this time you got to remember, Robin was a Will County officer who was fired. Yeah. So there was a conflict of interest. So a few days later, the Illinois State Police stepped in. Okay. So getting it out of Will County's hands was a good thing because they're the ones that we strongly believe right. have been covering it up. Yes. So now for 1990 to 2012, we Where, just one one quick question. One quick question. Where was the per- was the part you said a woman found Robin's purse? Where the purse wasn't found with the car? No, the purse was found in a lady's yard about three blocks away. Three blocks away yeah. from the car. From the car. Okay. In Harvey. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was just sitting in her yard, sitting on the sidewalk. Yeah, they found the purse and just you know there. the information and called my mom and you know got a okay. hold of belongings and. Uh, Anything weird I, about the car? Anything that you remember that just? I mean, we're going to get into how the car got there. But anything inch weird about the car? Any blood stains found in it? Did they dust it for fingerprints? That all kind right, of stuff. All that forensics has been. Um, it is an open investigation, okay? Mm, yes, and of course. There's things I can say in that, um, but I do want to say there was a, um, a. I don't know how much of that I can go into. Other than okay. the car, even other than the car after the. Will County Police Department mm-hmm. went through it mm-hmm. after them, and then the state got it. Okay. The car was given back to the uh, car dealership that she had, the, you know, uh, payments to. They got the car back. Oh, my. So I was told there's evidence in the car that they've been taking, you know, had forensics okay. done a few times, and uh, that's, we'll leave that there, but there was okay. I, there was evidence in the car. Okay, mm-hmm. great. So... 
what did you find out? There was a there was a witness to the car being there. What can you tell us about that before we get into what happened between 1990 and 2012? Somebody did see the car being parked there. Yes, a gentleman, an elderly gentleman, threw mm-hmm. his picture window because it was a cul-de-sac, and they dropped it off near a streetlight. So he uh, could identify it, uh-huh. told what it was, said he saw these two gentlemen, and he's uh, also faced them in a lineup and pointed them out. This is what we were told. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we're going to have to be a little bit more specific. Actually, we're going to have to be a little bit more specific for the listeners. The car was dropped okay. off by a tow truck. The car was dropped off by a black tow truck with chrome. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, it was initially reported as a red tow truck, and the state police did that to deter any um, false information. That was a letter I got from the state police stating that fact, that it was a black tow truck and that it was, um, the car was dropped off there by two gentlemen and Tony Marquez and his stepbrother, John Romo, Mm -hmm. were the two that he identified in the lineup. Were the two guys, uh, one of them driving, the other as a passenger in this tow truck and were there? Correct. Dropping the car off on the cul-de-sac where the gentleman wow. lived. Wow. So after, so that was was that identification made shortly after Robin disappeared, or was that five years down the road, or was that right around that time? That was right around that time. Okay. Which we did not know about. Okay. So now, now that you now that you just said those words, what happened? So the police start investigating. You think that they're doing? Is good a job, even though you have your suspicions about what happened, you know, but you didn't know a lot of this stuff because what happened between 1990 and 2012, you actually thought that a good investigation was going on. But what did you find out? What did you think over those course of those years? I had all trust in the state police. I, I did not have. Any reason to doubt them? I've always thought that they were upright, outstanding. They're, that's our state police. Mm-hmm. Sure. And um, they should be above the politics of local communities, and you know, you scratch my back. You know, yeah. In any of the dealings, with, you know, with the other municipalities, they, right. they're the state police. Right. So, um, a couple times during ninety to. Uh, 2000 and something mm-hmm. we were we were always asking for updates and you know they would have us come in and tell us you know some little thing here and there but uh it got to be where oh it's it's kind of too old we have new no new clues um we run out all our uh what's the word the leads you know they've investigated the lead, lead tips lead. come in yeah. and you yeah. know they're doing what they can they say and one statement was made a few times, we're just waiting for someone to confess or find the body. That's what we were always hoping for, a confession or find the body. Um, what was – can I ask you now – we know – we're gonna listeners are going to find out what happened in 2012. There's a reason, listeners, we keep bringing that year up. But what did the state police tell you? I mean here you have a guy who was harassing your sister – who had been in a relationship with your sister. She was bringing a lawsuit against him in this police department. He was identified as being in this tow truck that dropped her car off. 
is that not enough to you know start a a grand jury or you know some district attorney out there didn't say you know what this this sounds like a, a winnable case that that didn't happen. You would think so, wouldn't you? You and would actually. The um, Marquez and Romo were uh, supposed to submit the hair and blood sample, and a court overturned it because they weren't considered suspects. They're considered, as the wording of the police, persons of interest. Since there was no charges filed on them, they couldn't get the blood and hair samples that they needed for comparison. Mm -hmm. Uh, To this day, they still don't have that as far as I know. Okay. Um, And, yeah, with what, what evidence that I, you know, I'm not even a police officer. I'm mm-hmm. not a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we have found out, in the, especially starting mm-hmm. in the year 2012, mm-hmm. I cannot, for the life of me, figure out why they're not in jail. I, I just, it's beyond me. It's mind-boggling. Because and I know my sister's not the only person, as you know, in yeah. your broadcast, yeah. that are going through very similar That's situations. true. That is absolutely true. True. Yes. In fact, the last show that I just had on with T- Kathy Turkanian, uh, and, you know, and her uh, daughter, her biological daughter that disappeared, it's a similar situation where there's all this evidence and still nothing's been done. And yes. the listeners should know, being that, you know, I do so much, you know, internet research for the show, there are several cases. Never think because you don't have a body that somebody can't be convicted of a murder. It's actually, if you start going through, for example, charlieproject.org, you're going to find several cases where that's happened. It's more common than you think. I wouldn't say it's common, but it's more common than you think. So that's what I start thinking when I start thinking about Robin's case. Uh, so, two, so 1990 to 2012, you just think they're doing their job. You're being a mother. You're being a wife. You're raising your sons and just going about your life, just fingers crossed, hoping something good happens. My son and my daughter. Son and daughter. I'm I sorry. Daughter. I apologize. I thought it was two sons, son and daughter. But then what happens in 2012? In 2012, a private investigating lady by the name of Cindy came to my home to present me with now what I call is my Robin file. Mm-hmm. Um, she used to be a police officer. She became a private investigator, and she also um, worked in Will County's for some of the the courts in Will County for better women. She came across my sister's case and thoroughly investigated it. And, uh, mm. What she found is what I've been telling the police mm-hmm. for the last, since 2012, um, of what evidence that we have and how come, why have you not done this? Here's a for instance, Ed. Mm-hmm. Um, the people named on her lawsuit were never interviewed this past year. And when you say her, her lawsuit, you need to be specific here. Robin's lawsuit, they were never named. The people that were on the lawsuit mm-hmm. were never interviewed. Interviewed. Okay, never interviewed. interviewed. I mean, they were never interviewed. The person at one point in time, which we'll get into later, mm-hmm. who we know uh, possibly her first grave site was, mm-hmm. told them you're not digging here. You're digging 100 yards away, and that's going to be the end of it. They didn't interview that man till last month 
or the month before. This is over 26 years. Mm-hmm. The man that this mm-hmm. is mind-boggling to me. I just, I, All right, I we we, we need to line this up for. So, why did this uh, private investigator? Did she used to work for Will County? Did she work for Cook County? Did she work for the state police? What she initially worked for Orland Park, which is Cook County. Okay. And then she worked for the um, state's attorney's office in Will County. Mm-hmm. After um, she went through a similar situation, Robin was, and had a lawsuit. And she got out of the department there, and, and then she ended up, you know, as Robin was an advocate for, you know, women and whatnot. And yeah. she came across Robin's case, and it wasn't even dirt that she dug. She just, you know, did mm. did a a job that, you know, you would think that the state police, police. would have done. For the last 20 <laughs> years, for the 20 years in which you thought that they were yes. doing their job, this woman, exactly. you know, put this together. I mean, how long do you think it took her to put all of that information together for you? Well, it's going to be since 2010, so two mm-hmm. years. Two years. But okay. it wasn't constantly working on Robin's specific case two years. You mean, sure. you put out FOIAs, you have to wait for the FOIAs and, you know. FOIAs, FOIA, for, blah, the, blah, blah. FOIAs for the listener are Freedom of Information Act requests, FOIAs, if you don't know what that is for the listeners. You mentioned burial site. Tell us about that. How did you find out about in, this? In 1996, a gentleman by the name of Art. Please, you can use his full name. That's fine. Okay, Art Burchette. From Moni, Illinois, got in trouble for having guns and weapons. The police knew him very well. As a matter of fact, Marquez was a good friend of his. Uh, Robin even went out to Marquez, I mean, Burchette's property once to look at car engines because they were um, something about the car, and she at that time was dating him. So he went out there and took Robin with her. So mm-hmm. she, she knew who Burchette was. Mr. Burchette got in trouble with the police in Will County. And he says to get out of these charges because he was in a lot of trouble with other things. He says, I know what, uh, I may know where uh, that Deputy Robin Abrams is buried. And he went on to tell them that uh, one night uh, a car drove down his driveway, a black like sedan car. And um, he didn't know what time it was or whatever. It was very vague. But the next day, he went out to dump his grass clippings because he had a very big yard mm-hmm. and he noticed uh, 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 like a grave like an indentation or a grave there mm-hmm. and he says I wouldn't be surprised you know if that's where they you know Robin Abrams is and the reason why that's connected is because Marquez mm-hmm. and him were very good friends yes. and he wanted to get out of trouble and so, did not Burchette sort of have a little bit of a, a mob connection, too? Did you not? All right. Mr. Burchette worked the Messino brothers from the city, um, mm-hmm. Dickie and Clem. One of them passed away. Um, he was good friends with them. Um, mm-hmm. It's just and did they not, did the Messinos not also own a tow truck business? Yes, the Messinos owned a tow truck. So we can try to tie that into Tony Marquez being seen with that tow truck six years earlier, you know, in 1990, you know, dropping off. We can connect that. We can kind of all tie that in together. But so the listeners have to keep in mind that 
Jody and her family did not find out about all of this information that she's going to be telling you from now on until 2012. So she didn't know this. You did not know this was going on in 1996. Nobody ever told no. you this. No, we, we, we were told in a meeting uh, with James Glasgow, the state's attorney and mm -hmm. current state's attorney, uh, something about, did we know Burchette, mm -hmm. they asked. Okay. I, I never heard of him. Mm -hmm. And um, about... Uh, and we didn't know him. I, I didn't know who he was. My no. parents didn't at that time. No. And then that was the end of it. That was the end of it. And then come to find out in 2012, I got this letter um, through the lady, Cindy, who mm -hmm. was helping. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up putting a billboard up um, on I-80 in Joliet. Mm-hmm about my sister with information and that kind of thing that people, you know, do. I only had it up for a month because it was very expensive. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I got help. Um, the I was going to say the very next month, because it was only up a month, a gentleman by the name of Joe Hosey, who works for The Patch, um, he's a reporter mm -hmm. who did several stories on Robin. You can, um, and what year would this have been? Let's just be clear. What year would this have been? This year was been 2014. Okay. 2000, wait, 2013, I put the, the um, billboard up. Yes. And I met the gentleman by the name of Steve, who was actually the very first uh, officer to come to my parents' house back in um, October 4th of 1990, right. who took the report of the missing person. Okay. And on January 27th of 2014, uh, he wanted to meet with me. And, and Joe wanted to meet me. Steve. Steve or Joe wanted to meet with you. We just have to clear Steve the pronouns. Steve wanted up. to meet with me. Steve, Steve wanted to meet okay, with me. Okay. Okay. Steve was a cop who was who took the initial report. Okay, from nineteen ninety. Okay, great. Correct. And he um, thought that this was all done and over with because it was taken out of his hands, as you recall, by mm. the state police. So mm. he had to give all his paperwork over to them, and you know whatnot. And um, in hmm. talking to him, I said, I want a letter, and I want you to sign and date it because I'm going to hold you to what you're telling me. Mm -hmm. And he was also brought before a grand jury in 2014. Nothing's come out of that yet. Okay. But um, you want me to read to the listeners? Oh, uh, let's, let's just condense this down. Let's talk about um, what – Steve, what happened out in front of his house, and then how coincidentally he was the person, he was the guy, the cop who showed up to, with the car. And then we can talk about what, then we can talk about the burial. Okay. So. My sister um, had an altercation uh, in front of that Steve's house back in August of 19, it would have been 1990, 89 or 90, I can't okay. remember. And it was my sister out in the front in her car. She was pulled out of her car, handcuffed, pulled out of her car. He came out, her and her scream. They were beating her head against the car. The people I'm referring to is the two police officers. Tony Marquez, who was mm -hmm. an auxiliary at the time, mm -hmm. who, remember, at this time also had an order of protection to stay away from my sister. Yeah. And a gentleman by the name of Phil Fabo, who was his best friend, who also uh, worked for Will County Auxiliary. And then another um, Will County officer by the name of Carol Szynski mm. also came in a white unmarked band. And 
she says, help me, Steve. He goes, what's going on out here? And um, that's when uh, Mr. Knickram, and in this letter I'm reading his exact mm, words. Steve, Steve. He, he said, he heard Lieutenant Sosinski state something to the effect of somebody ought to kill this bitch, regarding, referring mm. to my sister mm-hmm. Robin. Mm-hmm. Um, and coincidentally, so, I mean, what is the, what the coincidence here that – the 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 cop who ends up being the first one on the scene when her car was found that this happens out in front of his house like months before that i mean i that is some crazy coincidence i believe i absolutely believe it's true but listeners really need to understand how strange that is yes yeah. i um and he's the only one that came forward with a mm. bunch of information i mm. have his letter yeah. which he also went to the grand jury um in joliet it was a closed grand jury. You don't know what they said, and I have no idea. Mm. But he he also gave me the information of uh, the Messina brother tow truck. It was dropped off in Harvey. He gave me the information about um, when they came to the location and said, um, the gentleman by the name, I'm giving his name, John Moss, the mm-hmm. deputy chief, says, you're not digging here. Well, you're this, digging 100 yards Yeah, let's away. make sure we're clear on that. Being that we mentioned Art Bruchette, he said somebody came to his property – just to go over this because that was a couple minutes ago now. Somebody – it looked like somebody buried something on his property, and right. he told the cops about this. They went out to dig in 1996 or 1997, and, 96. and 96, and this Steve guy was there who was writing this yeah. letter who was the first guy on the scene for her car in 1990. And John Moss would not let the guys dig in the right place. Tell him about right. that. Tell him about that more intricately okay. on that. It was Deputy Moss. He was on the scene already with a female reporter from the Joliet Herald. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the possible location indicated by where Burchette where said the grave might be. Mm-hmm. But um, upon you know arriving there, um, they were told, Mr. S- um, Steve and mm-hmm. his other people that came because they got the warrant. Mm-hmm. Um, we were ordered by Chief Moss to dig in a location where Bruchette indicated was not the grave, but a depression caused by a broken drain tile. We protested that the grave was in an area about 100 feet away. Mm-hmm. But by orders of John Moss, he says, dig there, and that's going to be the end of this. And that's what happened to that part of it. And, of course, they didn't find anything. Right, right. Okay. And then I'll, I'm going to read a little bit further. Okay. After the election was over. In 1990? In 1990? In 1990, in you and I both have we've, yeah we've had problems with this word before in our conversations before listeners yes, you should know subsequently this and we should clear up this is 1996 that this election happened for Fitzgerald but subsequently they 1990 the election yeah uh, I'm sorry you're correct I apologize okay it was 96 that the uh, election um no no 1996 is when uh they went to the grave site. Right. In 1990, the election was when Fitzgerald fired um, okay. Tony Marquez from the auxiliary. Okay. And 
Then they go back after Moss was no longer exec, you know, deputy chief right, right. with another search warrant. Okay. And found the grave site for Chet told us, uh, but there was no body. But evidence of a shallow grave depression appeared. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> she might have been there. And They moved her after that first dig. 90, right. In 1990. Just so we're clear, Art Bruchette in 1996 gets caught. While he's talking to police, he tells them, you know, back in 1990, this, this people came onto my property in the middle of the night. I think they buried something there. Right? Right? Correct. Right. Yes. And um, so supposedly, um, and to date, now it's 2016. Um, we did not know about those areas until 2012. You know, 12. We found out uh, much of it. Um, right. We have the first female detective on her case. Her name's Anna. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's been a slow process, and it's very hard for a family to put their trust into an entity that for several years covered it up. Um, and we had our ups and downs. I, I'm, I'm praying with all my heart that she is the one that's going to really break this because um, she's working on it very hard. They have gone. Well, we have a second. Uh, yeah, let's talk about this. They... Let's talk about the second location before we get into that. There was okay. not just this letter from Steve that was signed. You have a letter from a guy who is called Joe, although that's not his real name. What and Correct. we want to we w- don't want to use this second property owner's last name. We'll just use his first name, okay? okay? All right, we'll just say Jeff, and we're just going to leave it at that. But Joe told something to the cops once again. This is in that time that you thought everything was hunky dory. You know, they were going about their business. But there's this guy Joe that also made a statement to police. What did he say? No, actually, I okay. don't mean to. I need to correct you there. Okay. When we had found out, we ended up with a website, Find Robin and Help Find Robin. Mm-hmm. I also got a post office box. Okay. And on February 24th of 2015, I get a letter in the post office box from a gentleman named Joe. Wow. And he said he may know, have the location where Robin might be buried. And he proceeded to tell me the story of his friend by the name of Jeff, who lives in Piatone, Manhattan area, off of mm-hmm. Joliet Road. Mm-hmm. We won't give the exact address. No, we're not going to give the exact address. But Joe's friend, who lived on the property... Mm-hmm. Um, Before Jeff. Had, Before Jeff. Yeah, Joe's friend... Mm-hmm. Jeff. Jeff lives on the property. But... Um, one day, Joe had a very good police friend who was also named on several of Robin's report by the name of his last name, I'll say, is Farmer. He's no longer with us. Okay. He died. And um, do you want me to go into what? I want you to tell the story. Yeah. And you just tell the story. Yeah. That's why you're here. You just tell the story. I'm going to read the last paragraph or okay. so of Joe's letter. Okay. Uh, Great. Joe had a Will County Sheriff Sergeant officer friend that died last year, which would have been 2014, mm-hmm. for which he didn't want to name, 
but I already did. Joe was telling him of the problems that his friend was having with the building on his property. Harassment from officers. Uh, the gentleman's house was burnt down. The gentleman's house had gunshots fired through it. And his friend um, told him about Officer Sosi. Here's another name. S-O-U-C-I. Um, That's how you spell it. S-O-U-C-I-E. I-E, okay. Um, who had friends that were farming the field of Mr. Of, of, of Jeff. Jeff bought the property, and for years prior to that, the farmer left a friend of mm-hmm. Sosi farm his land. Yes. And he told Joe that he wouldn't be surprised if Sosi didn't have something to do with the disappearance of the former Will County deputy, Robin Abrams. He said Sosi was a part of that group, naming Marquez. Corpus, which is another name to remember, mm-hmm. and was a crony with Paul Corpus, which was the Will County Sheriff's Police at that time. He stated that he was not a straight and honest guy. Joe fully believed that his friend was telling the truth regarding, um, you know, the situation with Robin, uh, and that he felt the mm-hmm. need to get it off of his chest because um, it was bothering him. So he passed on the information to me. So mm-hmm. we looked up... Um, and sure enough, on the Internet, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate, you find a lot of information. The gentleman's house <laughs> yes. was burned it was down. Burnt the down. gentleman, his house was shot up. Yeah. And um, the reason why Sosie was vehement to not allowing um, Jeff build, he wanted to build, the whole thing that started it was mm-hmm. this barn that he wanted to build in the back of his property. Mm-hmm. And they came up with so much resistance he couldn't get permits he couldn't uh you know his house got burned i don't know if that's all you know it just seems strange to me yeah there's a lot of drama regarding just the the building of one simple building correct and this is out you have to understand this is out in the middle of nowhere this is not downtown chicago (laughs) this is very rural yes very rural farmland farmland area yes Yes. Uh uh-huh and um so we have two locations now um, yeah. where they had her from 1990 to 96, where yeah. she was supposedly moved. i got to say supposedly. Yeah. Um, so these people, I mean, I don't believe that there's people that would, well, maybe there are, that would come to you and, you know, give you information on your sister, you know, your, mm. your, dead, your murdered sister. Why, why would they make them up? You know, why would they say, you know, and... and, and with these names I've never heard of these people I you know but then when we start looking into it Sophie was affiliated with Will County um it all ties in I mean even um so let's let's just break this down for the listeners real quick because there's so many names so many locations it's it's a very complex case. I just want to break this down. What Art Bruchette said was he believed that there was something that was buried on his property. The cops went out to dig it up, and Moss would not allow them to dig in the right location, so nothing was found. So the suspicion is sometime after that, before they could go back, those same people who might have put Robin's body there went there, dug her up, allegedly, and brought her somewhere else. Once again, now we're talking about this second location, okay? Correct. It was buried there with you know whoever, the owner, the landowner's permission, or these other people who were farming on the land's permission. But then this Jeff guy who was a truck driver comes along 
He buys the property. There's this agreement that these other guys can still farm on it. They have some disagreements, and you can find, once again, like you said, you can find that on the internet. But then when Jeff wants to do some things on the property, he's the second. He was not the owner when Robin's body might have been buried there. He was the owner afterwards that he was being harassed, and his house was being shot up. And then in January 8th, and I have the, I think it was January 8th or January 14th, 2014, so that's just a couple years ago, but 24 years after Robin disappeared, his house gets burnt down. Right? That's that's how his that... His house was burnt down on July... Or, no, um, January, it was January of 2014. The bizarre thing about this, the listeners should know, and I think you knew this already, is that as of you and I doing this show, November 2016... That house has still not been rebuilt. Correct. Now Correct. you've had a chance. We're not saying Jeff's last name, but you've had a chance to talk to him. What What do you feel comfortable saying about your conversations with Jeff? I have no reason to disbelieve this gentleman. Like mm -hmm. I said, I've never met him before. Um, mm -hmm. But the circumstances with, with the Sosi who was, you know neck deep in with Will County. I mean, there was a lot of, there, and there still is a lot of yeah. cover-ups in Will County. And, um, you know, since it started to, for, for what, 22 years, mm -hmm. they got away with it, what they thought. But now, right. you know, I've been getting to do interviews, um, like with Roseanne Teus on CBS 2 News in 2014, mm -hmm. and especially people that you, I'm so Grateful to you for helping us, us families have have a, have a voice because the victims don't, or their voice. Um, so stuff started happening after two thousand and um, twelve. Yes, you know, twelve. When I yes. started, I I, I can't um, say that anything did happen between nineteen ninety till then until mm. we started, you know, letting them know, hey, mm. we got a location. We got a location where my sister's possibly at. Go get her. We have a location. We have um, eyewitnesses that put him in the, you know, this and that. everything mm -hmm. that we had, they've had, except the second location, which they do now have. Mr. Yeah. Our state policeman, Leo Schmitz, was in my home in February of 2014. I mm -hmm. gave him the letter. They all know they had that mm -hmm. letter. They had the letter from Steve from the first location. And Anna has been working diligently. Let's hope that this carries through to, you know, to have um, resolved to have justice for Robin. And I, when I first met Anna, because there's been many, many names and mm. either retired or sent to another location. Once they start getting, you feel comfortable with them. You know, your your, your voice is hopefully being. No, it, it didn't happen until Anna started, you know, coming into the picture. Yeah. Um, and one of her. Uh, Supervisors, by I'm going to just say the name Jeff. Yeah. He came to my house in um, January. This is a different Jeff. This is the Jeff from the uh, state police department. Okay. And um, here's the thing: I I gave them all this information. We went to the FBI. I got escorted out of the FBI by two big FBI agents because the wording says missing person. Mm -hmm. If it was a uh, a murder, they would help me. But I kept going back, and I finally ended up getting escorted out by the FBI. <laughs> that was a scary thing. But 
I'm doing this for my sister. Someone yeah. has to speak up for her. And then um, the Jeff from the Illinois State Police and Anna came over, and I was not going to give him or them any more information. I put a folder together, and I wanted them to sign it and date it and say, now you have this information, so you're not going to tell me you never heard it before, you never got it, because that was the runaround we were getting for, yeah. for you know, four years after that, yeah. or two years. Two years. And um, me and that Jeff had a little bit of confrontation. I actually kicked them out of my house. I said, wow. They told me that it was just hearsay. I was going on hearsay. I mean, it's a theory. And I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. Aren't there people that give you information that you're going to go and check on? I mean, this yeah. would have been something you would have gone and checked on and not just, you know, tell me that I'm a lunatic. Because basically, yeah, right, you know, what they were, not her so much, but him. And but It I, only I becomes hearsay if it's in court. I mean, until that point, it's, it's a possible lead. And now, Correct. if they follow the lead and doesn't go anywhere, then you just say, well, might have just been a rumor. But you don't know that until you actually look into it. Exactly, and that's what the problem I was having uh, was no one would be good. I actually, Hiram Grau was the prior state police chief, and I was in constant contact with them pardon mm-hmm. me, um, with one of his, with his, um, his chief of staff there, Eric. And one day, I was so mad, I got on the phone because no one was listening to me, and I called... Um, and Eric had another gentleman. It was a three-way call. This is the response that a missing person's family got mm-hmm. from the people that were hope that I was hoping was going to help us with our sister. The words out of their mouth, and I made them say it three times. They told me this was right after I kicked Jeff out of my house, and and gave you know they mm-hmm. refused to take the information which they've had. We've given it to the FBI. We've given it to every you know, they told me if I keep saying what I'm saying and doing what I'm doing, I can go to jail for perjury. Three times I had him tell me that. I mean, you're not under oath. You're not under oath. You can't. Well, I mean, it may be it may be slander or libel, but it's surely not perjury. Well, I I knew that. I mean, and I'm thinking to myself, well, why am I on trial here? I'm not the one that murdered my sister, and you have evidence to go after. You know, to go look. And I told them, really? So that ended the conversation with them. So I, I you know, kind of felt hopeless there, but still clinging to hope and prayer and believing. I am going to get justice for my sister. And I just want to encourage every single case, and you've done a few on your podcast. Yeah, yeah. There's many more. Yes. Never give up. Right. Somebody will come forth. It'll happen. Just please never give up. And what I'm going through, I've also reached out to, um, there's other places besides the police department. And if I could just share this with the uh, listeners, um, for instance, a gentleman by the name of Tad Tobias, D-I-B-I-A-S-E, you can Google him. Mm-hmm. He's a lawyer for no body cases. I contacted and reached out to him, and he said he would love to do this. And here's the problem I ran into. He said, in all his years of doing it, this department, which was the Illinois State Police, was the first department that would not accept this help. Now, to me, that speaks volumes. 
this man could pop with the information we have, not pertaining to the body because we don't have that yet, mm-hmm. but pertaining to everything that's drawn up to it. This man, th- he could be in jail right now, facing what he deserves. Tony Marquez. By the name of Marquez, correct. I reached out to a group called NecroSearch, which is out of California. Those are forensic people. They would do it for free. Wouldn't cost Illinois taxpayers a dime. I reached out to the Vidoc Society, which is out of Pennsylvania. They're retired professionals um, mm-hmm. that take on cold cases. Mm-hmm. I reached out to um, another group by the mer- name of American Investigative Society of Cold Cases, a gentleman by the name of Kenneth Maine. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. Henry Lee, but he's the leading... Um, forensic pathologist in the world. He teaches quantum. Anybody that's old enough to remember the O.J. Simpson case surely remembers Dr. Henry Lee. Yeah. Okay. I met with these people back in 2014. I went to their conference, and they want to help. They said they would definitely help. And here's another thing. It wouldn't cost the taxpayers a dime. Mm. But every response back from them was, without the police cooperation, we cannot get involved. And Illinois yes. State Police will not give them permission. It's they not, will not give them permission. Not, so here's what we're trying to do uh, in, in, re, in regards to um, these people that I mentioned. We're trying to get a law passed mm-hmm. so that people of murdered victims or missing can get their own outside agencies to help and assist with the case because I, I know 100% in my heart my sister's case would have been done and justice would have been served by now if we had the cooperation. We're trying to get a law passed through um, and, and doing that for all of us. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not just for Robin, but it's for all of us, for Molly Young, and, and the names can go on and on. Um, and that's yeah. what we're, we're working on now as we speak. And, you know, just never give up. There, there's going to be justice. There's going to be... Hopefully that ray of sunshine will come real soon. I want to ask you, I want to go back and ask you a little bit about Jeff, the landowner, okay? Okay. Like I said, you've talked to him a a couple times. Once again, we're not saying his last name. What is the reason he's given you that even though his house was burnt down in January of 2014, that it's still not been built yet? What's what's the reasoning there? The holdup is the... the, 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 um, Township will not give him building. Uh, there's a fight between the uh, the town, mm-hmm. the insurance company, and you know the entities that are involved in him to be able to replace his home. Mm-hmm. And those, you know, those circumstances, I'm not real clear on yet. I, I, you know, and just so and, and just so we're also clear, even though I know we talked about that this the last time before we did this interview. We still don't know what the actual cause of that fire is. You know, the fire department hasn't come out. It was an electrical fire or, you know, he left the stove on or something like that. We don't, we don't know yeah. what, the, what the reasoning for this fire is yet. No, we do not. I okay, do not and it's all, Okay, we, we don't know. There's, they probably know what it is. It's just not public information. And I can tell you that since you and I talked the last time, I've tried to look into that, and I could not find – Anything, you know, regarding this. So the, the circumstances of that by itself are a little suspicious. Usually when somebody has their house burnt down, they get it built again. 
you know, within a couple years. So there, there's right. that. Um, the other question I'm sure the listeners are going to be wondering is here you know this Jeff who's this landowner. You have you thought about going onto that property yourself, getting somebody who owns a backhoe or something, and maybe just probing around about possibly where her body might have been buried, even if it's not there anymore. You know, once again, this is just a theory. Well, I did have um, permission, and I did meet with um, Jeff on his property, mm-hmm. and there was a group of dog handlers that came out. Um, okay with me um in the initial you know i don't know how credible they were they're just wanting to help you know um but here's what i was told they found nothing by the way mm-hmm. here's what i was told by the uh illinois state police because now yes i'm sitting here with two locations why didn't i go dig up my sister correct I, here's I, what they told me yeah they told me that if i was involved in that in any way that it would hinder their defense of, you know, the investigation to where they pick up the court and say, oh, by the way, Jody, you know, Jody, to have any ties in with the finding of my sister would not make an easy job for the, the state police to um, have all the facts. They say that, you know, that people could tamper with it or whatnot. So they advised me not to get... You know, for my own safety also, um, not yeah. to be going over to any, you know, because I've been on both locations, once with uh, the people with the dog, and the other one I was on just walking around, and I had the permission from the people that were renting it at the time. Now we cannot go on that property, because that first property, they said, um, we're not allowed on. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, no no crime scene was, you know, the, the areas were not secure. I mean, yeah. they're not secure to this day. Yeah. And um, uh, other than going to get her myself and have it over with, their reasoning to me seems logical. I don't want to do anything to hinder having justice for my sister. You, you know that. Most everyone knows that they wouldn't want to do that. But I do appreciate you letting our voices for them be heard because, this isn't going to go away, Ed. I'm not stopping until my. Sister we need to add. We, we need to. We, we. The thing is, we're getting toward the end of the interview, but we haven't pointed out one of the major things. Uh, tell the listeners about what Tony Marquez's own wife said about him. This was a phone call we received back in January fourth uh, of uh, January two thousand and twelve by. A gentleman out of the Will County State's Attorney's Office by the name of Dave. He mm-hmm. read to my myself and my husband mm-hmm. the exact statement that Tony Marquez's wife, Arlene, told them, which the gentleman's name was Ken Coppish, she told to mm-hmm. who was state police, that she knows. What year, would you, what year did she make this statement? What year? Uh, this was in... 1990. 1990, okay. Supposedly 1990, yes. Okay. That she knows Tony killed my sister Robin because Tony told her this. She told the policeman it was in the statement. That statement was read to us. I says, oh, well, then why is uh, he not around? Well, they can't do it because of the law, because if you're married, you can't testify against your wife or (laughs) husband. 
Okay, That's not how that law Ed. works. Well, this is, you know, here's the thing, Ed. Yeah. She's not home. She's not missing. She's not on a vacation in Florida. Yeah. She's dead. Right. Yeah. It should right. be changed from missing to murdered, number one. And Tony Marquez should have the pressure on him. I mean, oh, uh, a few months ago, they went and interviewed him again, the state police and them. They lawyered up right away. Mm-hmm. So now, you know. Yeah, we should we should st- we should say for the record, even though she told the police that she thinks that her husband murdered Robin back in 1990, she's still married to him 26 years later. Correct. That's crazy. That's a that's one Correct. unique relationship. Yes. Wow. Wow. And well, so Tony Marquez, what has he been? At- what has Tony Marquez been doing over the last 20? Six years. He got fired from being a cop because of yeah. these th- this Robin's. You know what she said about him. What has he done since then? How's he running? How's he handled his life? Well, he's been doing pretty good with for himself. He has an insurance company. I don't know if he's retired from that yet. An investment company. He was also actually named outstanding Hispanic uh, member of the Crest Hill Chamber of Commerce. And when I found that out. I called Crest Hill, and I gave him a little information about Mr. Marquez. I bet you did. And they they weren't too happy about, you know, what they have on there. You know, I mean, mm. you know, you murder somebody, you go out, and, you know, nothing happens to you, and you got all your buddies in your pocket. No, there's, there's a similar situation going on like that in America right now, and I'm telling you, we are patriotic. We're not going to put up with that. No. And I'm a, sister's, I'm a sister of a murdered Victim, yeah. that how I want. I'm a murder sister. Help me out here, Ed, because I'm getting upset when I think about this. You, you know, I'm you're a sister you, you, to a murder victim. Yeah, you who are. Did not got justice. No, you was haven't. A police officer, and you know, mm-hmm. it's not right. And the answers are right there, and they need to do their job, which I hope Anna's doing. And what you're saying is all these people that we've mentioned, we've mentioned the last name of a guy named Moss. We've mentioned the last name of a guy named Susie. We've mentioned some other last names. But you also have a couple women who have been in – this isn't like a good old boys club. This is a good old girls club too. There have been some female police officers who have been a party to all of this as well. Oh, yes. So they can't even stick up for their own fellow female cop. They chose to go with these other these these guys. And the the irony of this is, one of the ladies, one of the lady officers that pulled a gun to my sister's head mm-hmm. when um, they were arresting her for some trumped up charge. She had a lawsuit against the very same police that she worked for, and that lawsuit was dropped. I, I guess they paid her off and. Uh, Either that or she was in fear for her life and just went along with it. My sister would have never done that. She, she would have never done that. But one lady, um, yeah, stand right there, we had a gun to her head, knowing what Robin was going through. Because she went through it herself. Mm-hmm. Not to the same extent, obviously. Went through it herself. And then to come find out Robin's murdered and she's never come forward. I hope that's eaten at her conscience. Really yeah, you've told me that she just continued to be a cop. She's retired now, and she yes, just will not yes. say. And she's not the only. There's a, as I remember, there were a couple different female police officers, but one in particular, like you said, that had drawn the 
gun on your uh, sister, Robin, you know, at one time. But there, there's been a couple female officers who've decided to, you know, liar up or just not say anything. And that's, that's disgusting. Well, one that's of them actually was harassed so bad, uh, they had to change her name. And she's uh, out of state now in a mental institution because of what they've done to her. Because of the fear she went through and everything she went through in her life because of them. She's actually cracked. Wow. Uh, Jody, how can people help you? Where can they find you? Your website, you know, where you are on Facebook. How can they find you so my listeners can help you out and, you know, maybe we can, uh, you know, make some, you know, shake something up in this case. How can they reach you? How can they I find you? I would love it. We have a couple websites, Find Robin. Um, on Facebook and help find Robin on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, just Google her name, Robin Abrams, A B R A M S. There's many articles on her. I suggest yeah. you look at the uh, interview um, back in 2000, I believe, 14 with Roseanne Teus or 12. She mm-hmm. did a very good um, uh, audio uh, of it. And is that on YouTube or where? Where is that? Is that on, on your website uh, or? You can find that on YouTube or, okay. or on possibly still on our website because sometimes, you know, they take it down. And, uh, okay. And I ask that you pray. And I ask that the people that have circumstances similar to ours, yeah. um, drop us a note in, in there. And there's a bunch of us that um, we actually have little, like, meetings. At, not meetings, but little rallies to remember our our family. One is going to be coming up December 1st for a young lady by the name of April Zane, who back in the 70s from Frankfort, Illinois, which is also Will County, Mm -hmm. um, disappeared as a young lady. And we're going to have a balloon launch. Her sister, um, Sharon Rose, is putting that on. But And also, you're not alone. There's a lot of us out there. (laughs) There, what's what's going to yeah? What's going to be the ne- where is the, what's the next marker in this case? Did you not tell me something about you're going to let the FBI do their work, but if something doesn't happen by March or something, is did you tell me that in our last conversation? What's going yes, on there? Yes, I did. What's I sure what's, did. what's going on? Tell tell the listeners and uh, about that, and then we'll wrap this up. Okay, we have um, another meeting scheduled. With the Illinois State Police, Anna and the, the detectives working on her case. By then, they were supposed to, they're supposed to have had interviewed all the people, got their, all their ducks in the row, gone to the properties, and have a complete synopsis. By that date, mm-hmm. I had several questions we wanted to answer, wrote it down for them. I'm telling you right now, by that date. What's the date again? What's the date again? It's in, I believe, March. Okay. Uh, March 2017. Correct. Okay. Sometimes they postpone it. We've been postponed many times. But I'm saying by the next meeting, March or, I mean, yeah, March or May, I forget what they said. Mm -hmm. They said they needed time, even though it's been 26 years. Yeah. And we've got all the key pieces that they needed to. I am going to start a, I will have a press release. I will have Names, locations, a port. I will have it all. Mm-hmm. I will even have her handwritten pre-deposition letter that she wrote and her lawyer gave us right before she was to go in to give her deposition for our side. 
because she already gave it to the state police side. That's after that happened, she disappeared. Yeah. Everything that you would need to know that I know, and then you, the public, we, the public, we can demand them to do their job, to arrest this man, to get justice for Robin, and to let them know that these people are somebody's mother, somebody's sister, somebody's uncle, somebody. These are our family members, and we will not be quieted till their justice comes. And that's what we're trying to do with the law to help us do. Um, working on that with Terry Bryant down south with Larry Young for his daughter, Justice for Molly. And I just ask that you guys, okay. we could have a wonderful new year with, with lots of answers and a lot of um, hurt being healed by mm -hmm. doing the right thing and bringing justice to our family. Jody, thank and you for... Jody, thank you for joining me and my listeners on Unfound. Thank you very much, Ed. And that was my interview with Jody Walsh, sister of Robin Abrams. Jody wanted me to send a shout out to Angel Casper. Angel assists Jody in compiling all of the info on Robin's case. Angel has also helped Jody with website work and computer work and her name came up after the interview was over and so Jody wanted to make sure that Angel was acknowledged during this interview we kind of glossed over something probably a, a somewhat important point and that would be what did Tony Marquez say he was doing at the time that Robin disappeared he says that he was with his buddy John Romo and he was at his cousin's bar in Joliet, Illinois, the entire day. So, of course, uh, he's saying he had nothing to do with Robin's disappearance, despite that witness saying that it was at least Tony Marquez who was driving the truck that dropped off Robin's car. But Tony Marquez's alibi has never been broken in the last 26 years. Something else that I thought needed cleared up because – I think both Jody and I both got confused uh, regarding this, and this was what Art Bruchette said in 1996. So I'm going to give you the timeline to you so you can understand it. Art Bruchette owned a piece of land in 1990. Not long after Robin disappeared, he says that somebody came onto his land the middle of the night and buried something. But he didn't say anything to anyone, probably because, well, let's just say he had friends who buried things like that. Then in 1996, when he himself got into trouble with the law, it was during the interview with police that he said that back in 1990, I think he was looking to help himself out with his own troubles – he told the police that back in 1990, once again, when Robin Abrams disappeared, that somebody had come onto his property. So at that point in 1996, the cops went out and tried to dig this spot up on his property. This was headed up by, if you remember, the policeman whose first name was Steve who Jody actually got to talk to a couple times. He was also, coincidentally, the guy who was the first cop on the scene at Jody's car in 1990. 
But you remember what happened was they got there, and Deputy Sheriff Moss, once again, we have to differentiate. Steve works for the local town, whereas Moss works for the county. The county sheriff would not allow Steve and whoever else showed up with him to dig in the right spot. So they were forced to dig 100 feet away, 100 yards away, and nothing came of it. However, later, Deputy Sheriff Moss, and this is all under the administration of Brendan Ward, who was the sheriff of Will County at the time. Moss, it is believed, moved on. Sometime between Art Bruchette's first interview when the, ex- when the warrant was supposed to be executed and they couldn't, at some point Moss left, retired. Then again, Steve and his people went out there, and that was the time that they dug in the correct place, but they found nothing. It is in that time span between the first dig and the second dig that it is believed, if you believe that Robin was buried at that first location, that she was then moved to the second location. I don't know if that was perfectly clear uh, during the interview. One more thing about the burned-down house. I'm not going to give you the location of that. Uh, I'm not going to give you the landowner's last name. Then I'm not going to give you the actual address, but... Let me just put it this way, is that I've told you that the house is already burned, is, is still burned down as of this date. And you know the general area of where this all happened, with names being thrown like Beecher and Harvey and Joliet. And if you do a Google map search, you will eventually find it. Uh, in fact... Uh, you will find it through both the satellite view and street view because the house is still sitting there waiting to be knocked down while all the paperwork is figured out. And I said in the interview, and I'll say it again, being that it's still standing is suspicious to me. Uh, that he hasn't built a new house in its place is suspicious to me. So if you do your own search, like I know so many of you like to do, you will find it. Where I think this case needs to go from here is pretty obvious. Uh, as Jody stated in the interview, that she's going to wait on these FBI reports. But also, uh, with the proper technology, and I, I suppose some financing as well, you could get uh, somebody to go out there to the original location, the Art Bruchette location, and dig down to where... Jody was allegedly first buried and collect dirt samples to find if there's any blood in that or any DNA uh, in the dirt at that location. Now, of course, if she's wrapped in plastic, I mean, this is so morbid, but that's what we do on this show. We have to talk about these things that I don't know what they could do. However, if it's some other situation in which she was buried, then they might have some luck. So maybe they'll get that done, and maybe at the second location they can exactly determine maybe where she might have been put there and figured out. But there are some buildings on that property now, and uh, it's going to be a little more difficult, I think, there. But I will always be here for Jody Walsh, 
and her family. And I will hopefully be able to give you an update on this case uh, sometime in 2017. Until then, I hope you continue to listen. Like I said before, you can find me on Twitter, Unfound Podcast. Find the show at Podomatic and iTunes. Please subscribe. Please join our discussion group on Facebook, the Unfound Discussion Group. And you can email me, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound. Thank you.